team. You're okay? Wow. So quiet. Everybody's so quiet all the time. Why is that? Oh, be still. Okay. Wait, but I asked you a question. Well, we are kind of continuing along in our series during our transition period. And we've sort of roughly uh, entitled our series, Seeking God and Walking with Him. And I think that sort of aptly um, addresses where we're at um, at Harvest and uh, what God is doing in our lives. Um, So as we're journeying through this transition time, I hope you're getting a sense of the transformation that's happening in the life of of this church. It's, it's not so much that we've been going down the wrong path, and now, that, and now God has to sort of change our direction in another way. On the contrary, I think what, what has been started a long time ago at Harvest simply continues, um, but perhaps to a new level of depth that uh, we have not experienced before. I hope that you are excited for what lies ahead. It may be quite challenging, But I think that we will experience the joy of seeing God do amazing things in our lives and in our community. My hope is that our lives will impact all those around us for the glory of God as we collectively experience the presence of God in our midst. So I want to open us with a time of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we are seeking after you, and we are offering ourselves up to you with open hands. Um, It really is sort of an open-handed time right now. Uh, Help us not to have any preconceived notions. Help us not to have any agenda of our own, but really just to seek you, um, to seek your heart and your desire and your future for this church body, this church family. So thank you, Lord, for bringing us to where we are right now. Because we have seen the ups and downs. We've been through all of it. And we will see more through the future. But we know that you are with us. And we thank you for that. Uh, We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So we are continuing with one of the most hopeful and encouraging scriptures that I know. The 46th Psalm. I love the Psalms because they are poems and they are songs. They are poetry, and and poetry and music has a way of piercing the heart and more more effectively than even a common statement or a standard prose. We know most of the Psalms were authored by King David, but there are a few that are attributed to others, and this is one of them. And it will be helpful for us to understand the origins of this song and the author who wrote it. Usually we ignore these titles, but let's take a closer look at this one. Okay, so if you have your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, turn, turn in, you know, pick up one from the end of the, count, uh, the, end of the aisle and turn to, turn to Psalm 46. Actually, I'm going to go grab my Bible here. Psalm 46, and at, at, usually at the beginning of those, in most Bibles, there will be a little, like, subheading, um, 
sort of a title for the song, right? Do your do your do most of your Bibles say that? Okay. Mine says this: for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. Okay. For the director of music. Now I humbly identify myself as a director of music. Um, so when I read this, my heart, my heart skips a beat. I sit up and take notice. I slow down because I want to understand what God has to say to the director of music. Now this one is written by the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth. And we'll get to the sons of Korah in a minute, but what does according to Alamoth mean? Well, there are two interpretations. One could mean that it was written to be sung by a chorus of young women, probably more in the soprano or mezzo-soprano range of voice. Or it could be mean that it should be played on a, str- a stringed instrument tuned to a very high pitch, uh, very much like in the soprano range. All right? So kind of like Jack's guitar, if you will. Um, so this was not meant to be sung or played by uh, somebody in the bass or baritone range like myself, okay? Probably in a much higher register. I imagine this wasn't so much a slow dirge kind of a song either, but maybe more of an up-tempo, livelier tune, livelier song. All of these things are important because, of course, they set the tone for the song or the poem, Right? It's meant to be a song that inspires, that lifts up, that encourages us to look forward and upward with great expectation and joy. Okay? Now, who are the sons of Korah? Well, Korah was the great-grandson of Levi, who founded the Levitical priesthood. Levi was chosen by God to represent the people before God. Korah's grandfather, Levi's son, was Kohath, uh, who served by doing most of the physical task of taking care of the tabernacle, like picking up and carrying all the items that were used for worship, and packing them up and hauling them from place to place, because the tabernacle was like a tent. It was like a portable uh, sanctuary. And so you could say they were very much like our tech team, who come every week to unpack the trailer, uh, set up the equipment, and then pack up everything again afterwards to return it back to storage. So I would like us right now to please show some appreciation for our tech team, for their service, because we've been doing this now for close to 25 years. And it's a very tiring task, a very tiring task. But by the time that Korah was living, um, Moses and Aaron were then in charge of the worship. But Korah was not content to allow Moses and uh, to follow Moses and Aaron. So he and a group of about 250 men led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And God's punishment for this group of malcontents was to open up the ground underneath them 
and swallow them up alive. And then the ground closed up again over them. What a horrific ending, don't you think? Uh, It makes one pause to think about the consequences of rebellion against God's anointed. But God spared Korah's sons. And seven generations later, the great prophet Samuel came from the line of Korah. And the Korahites became great leaders in choral and orchestral music. And these same priests were responsible for writing beautiful, poetic pieces of song and music. And today's is one of them. So think about the family history. The sons of Korah then were not unfamiliar with storms in life, right? They knew from personal experience and familial history that in the middle of personal storms, God is our refuge. In the middle of personal storms, God is our refuge. Psalm 46, starting at verse 1, going through verse 3. Let's read this together, shall we? Let's read this together. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters quake, war and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, Have you been through personal storms in your life? When it feels like the earth is giving way and the mountains are falling into the sea, the waters are roaring and foaming and the mountains quake from the surging, personal health, work issues, personal relationships, death of a loved one, changes and transitions, that are no one's fault, or maybe they are, due to poor choices or personal conflict, differences of opinion or personality. We all experience them. I've personally experienced all of them, sometimes all at once. It's interesting here that the psalm writer doesn't start with their own situation as some other psalms do. They don't start with a lament about how this happened or that happened or this person wronged them or that issue came up and please, God, save me. No, rather, the songwriter starts with a declaration about who God is. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in our trouble. Like I said, the description of trouble, the earthquaking and giving way, the mountains falling into the sea are all very descriptive. And there must be some sort of personal reference to what their great-great-grandfather experienced as he was swallowed up by the earth. There must have been some family stories that got told down through the generations. And you know how stories seem to kind of just keep growing and growing and the facts and the details just sort of get ballooning, and, you know, they sort of grow from that. Um, That must have happened here, I can imagine. But they also must have learned some good lessons about what not to do when serving an almighty God, because here they are, several generations later, after this cataclysmic event of their their relative being swallowed up by by the earth. But they are serving once once again as choral and orchestral leaders 
writing wonderful psalms of praise and adoration to God. But the focus is not on the storms. The focus is not on the storms. The focus is on God. He is our refuge, our strength, ever-present. This is a theme that is repeated and repeated over and over again in this psalm, and we will see that. God is with us. He is ever-present. He is an ever-present help in our times of trouble. Let's look at this phrase, he is our refuge and our strength. These days we hear a lot about refugees, yes? Or even the term sanctuary cities, right? Have you heard the term sanctuary cities? You know, sanctuary cities are actually an ancient idea where governments would designate certain places, certain cities to be places of refuge, places of sanctuary, a, person who, a place where a person who was wrongly accused of something could run to these places of refuge and find safety until a just trial could be convened so that this person could not be wrongly attacked. To be a place of refuge then reflects God's mercy and justice. God's mercy and justice. It also demonstrates that God is a God of protection. He protects us. Proverbs 10 18 expresses it like this. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I like the way Joel 18 says it. He says this. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of of Israel. Last week, Sean spoke of wanting harvest to be a safe place, a place where we could share our burdens, even our deepest, darkest sins, and still, face, still feel safe doing that. Shouldn't church be a refuge? If God is here, and God is a God of mercy and justice, then shouldn't we find refuge here? And shouldn't other people find refuge here as well? You know, we have to ask ourselves, if people aren't finding refuge here, what are they finding? And how can we change that? How can we change that? I think that SPINS is, doing a, is going a long way to change that. And once again, we want to thank Margaret, and Gabe and Brian for championing, championing this effort. And I hope that we will all continue to find refuge by seeking out God and experiencing his ever-present help in times of trouble. And not just in times of trouble, not just when we need help or in trouble, but even in times of calm and peace. Calm and peace. Now here in the Bible, if you look at it, um, right after verse 3, is a musical term, a musical term, selah, selah. Selah means pause, to take a pause, to reflect upon what was just sung or to meditate on it. I take it as the equivalent to a musical rest. There's a quote that is often attributed to different composers, uh, sometimes Mozart, sometimes um, others, um, including a ver one version 
by one of my favorite musicians, Miles Davis, uh, a jazz trumpeter. And, and the quote goes like this, the, the music is not in the notes, but in the silence between them. The music is not in the notes, but in the silence between them. The Miles Davis version goes like this, it's not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. It's not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. So I want us to say la here, to pause and to reflect. Um, but we're going to read those verses again together. Um, and as we're reading, um, let's just think about what it's saying to us. And then I'm going to pause for a few moments for us to say la, to think about it. Let's read it again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There are all kinds of trouble, aren't there? The psalmist knows this. He knows that personal storms aren't the only things that plague us. These days I try uh, to avoid reading or listening or watching the news because usually it's bad, whether or not it's real or fake news. Uh, continuing on, the psalmist reminds us that in the middle of political storms, God is sovereign. In the, in the middle of political storms, God is sovereign. Psalm 46 continues. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The city of God is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem means city of peace. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. Now, because there is no actual river flowing through Jerusalem, we need to sort of read this symbolically. We need to take this a little bit more symbolically. There is a stream, however, that does feed into Jerusalem with access made to it through something called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, Hezekiah's Tunnel was built under Jerusalem, and it is a channel that is meant to bring water from one side of the city to the other. This is hardly a river, but it is a source of refreshment and provision, especially in times of war. But Jerusalem is a joyful city of peace, not because of Hezekiah's tunnel, but because of the presence of God, because only God dwells there. Where God is not present, there is no peace. There's a bumper sticker. I don't know if you've seen it. It says, no Jesus, no peace. But it also says, no, N-O, Jesus, no, N-O, peace. 
Are there wars around the world? According to the Institute for Economics and Peace, a think tank that has produced the Global Peace Index for the past 10 years, only Botswana, Chile, Costa Rica, Japan, Mauritius, Panama, Qatar, Switzerland, Uruguay, and Vietnam are free from conflict. And those are in the, the darker green. You can't even see it on this map, the darker green um, on the map. That's only 10 nations around the world, 10 nations that are completely free from conflict. According to the EIP, uh, IEP, the world is becoming a more dangerous place. The world is becoming a more dangerous place. Are nations in an uproar? Well, with pictures like these coming from China and North Korea, uh, it's easy to become a little alarmed and frightened the prospects of continuing threats of war. And that, that picture uh, from North Korea, that's their female army. That's not their male army. It should not surprise us. As Christians, we should not be surprised or alarmed that these worldwide conflicts are ongoing. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, um, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Jesus told us ahead of time that these things are the signs that we should be aware of. These are the things that, are the, that show us the end of times is coming. But the end is not yet. The end is not yet. The psalmist comes right back and says that he, God, lifts his voice and the earth melts. God, with a mere word, could melt the earth. Even in the worst political storms that exist in the world today, God is still sovereign. Nations may declare their sovereignty. They may flex their muscle and march out their thousands, maybe even millions of soldiers, both men and women. And you know that these shows of power are just flashes of might. They are meant to frighten and intimidate. And they can... They can only intimidate other countries, other sovereigns who perhaps have fewer soldiers or weaker weaponry. And you know, this arrogance is not unnoticed by God. There, isn't, there is a consequence, consequence that these unjust and unrighteous leaders will face. Isaiah 2.11 tells us the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. What is God's response to all this saber-rattling? Conflicts may come and conflicts may go. Nations are in, in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. In fact, in addition to the conflict, Jesus said that there are many other signs that will continue to appear. Famines and earthquakes and apostasy and false prophets. These will all continue until the end of times. God's response to all these storms, the only sign of the ends of the times, is God's last word. God has the last word. 
Jesus said also in Matthew 24 and verse 16, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. When the gospel has been preached to every nation, that's when the end will come. It's not about the wars. It's not about the earthquakes. It's not about the famines. It's about the gospel, about God's word, and it being preached through the whole earth. When the gospel has proclaimed, been proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, then the earth will come. Why? Because God is sovereign. He reigns over the whole earth. His word is the only word that counts. And in the end, he has the last word. And we're going to pause here again. We're going to take another Selah. Well, this may be a good time to thank God. Thank God that we here in the United States have experienced a relatively long piece of internal peace. A long period of internal peace. Although... These days, some people may bring that statement into question as well. But we still face great external pressures. Yes? So finding peace from God is all the more important. So let's take a moment to pause here and thank God for his peace in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, because it is your peace that has broken down every wall. We can come to you in peace. Amen. In the midst of political storm, remember that God is and always will be sovereign because the answer to any storm, the answer to any storm is to find the center, to find the center. Psalm 46, uh, the rest of the psalm, 8 through 11, it says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. God invites us not simply to take things by faith, to believe what he says, but rather to come and to see. See the things he has done. Does God judge? Does he bring desolation on the earth? Yes, we see that natural disasters have come from his hand. But he also makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He destroys the weapons of mass destruction, the nuclear warheads, the ICBMs, and he burns the shields with fire. In a storm, in a hurricane, when a cyclone approaches, where is the most calm, peaceful place? Of course, in the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm. Isn't God amazing that in one of the most destructive forces of nature, God places at the very center of it 
a place of calm and peace. Isn't that amazing? From Scripture, there are two great examples of God's peaceful presence, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. In Exodus 14, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt. The Egyptian army was hot on their tails. And they reached the edge of the the Red Sea, and there, with several million people in their traveling camp, they are at a dead end. They are stuck. They have nowhere to go. And the bad guys are almost upon them. And the people, the people are terrified, and they call out to Moses, do something, do something, we're about to be slaughtered. And what does Moses do? What does Moses do? He stands up and he says this, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And what happens? God reaches down, and he parts the Red Sea, and these millions of people are able to get across the Red Sea. And as Pharaoh and his army begin to cross the Red Sea as well, God closes up the sea over them, and they all drown, just as Moses had predicted. And the Egyptians they saw that day, they never saw them again. And in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus is with the disciples crossing the lake when a terrible storm comes up on them. And what is Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And the disciples yell at him, Lord, don't you care for us? Don't you care that we're about to drown? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He got up, it says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely And he said to his disciples, why, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Oftentimes we read verse 10 of Psalm 46 as God saying to us, his children, his disciples, his believers, be still and know that I am God. And to a large extent, that's true. But that reading diminishes the power, the greater power of the verse. Because if you look at the context, God is really talking to the nations. God is really speaking to those arrogant dictators and pompous leaders who think they are so powerful. And God is telling them, be still, be still. Stop your warring, stop arguing against me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Just as Jesus told the storm to quiet down, just as God parted the Red Sea and then closed it up again over the enemy, just as parents tell two arguing siblings, be still, God is telling this rebellious, warring, greedy, selfish world to be still and know that he is God. We're going to take our um, third and final Selah right now. And we will be still before an almighty God. 
and understand that he has us in the very center of his heart, of his will. It is in the center that we will find peace and calm. And we can pause and we can listen to the silence and hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. Be still and know that he is God. Is, uh, is harvest in a storm right now? Is harvest in a storm right now? The overriding feeling that we've been experiencing through this time of turmoil and change has been peace. Now, are we just fooling ourselves? Are we simply in denial, which is the first stage of grieving? Or is God doing a supernatural work in us? Only time will truly tell. Only time will truly tell. But the elders and deacons, as we have said before, are committed to being still before God. Of not rushing headlong to try to find the, the right solution to all of our problems. But rather to, to listen, to stop to listen to God's still small voice. To proceed with caution, but to be very attentive very attentive to the murmuring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our spirits. Every opportunity of prayer will include long periods of silence. When we simply don't shout our request to God, you know, in capital letters, shouting our request to God, but we take the time to listen to what he's saying to us through prayer. Um, and, you know, we, we want to invite everyone to join us in that in that endeavor. We have simplified the prayer circle schedule. We're going to meet on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. It used to be the second and fourth, but we're no longer doing the Friday night prayer fellowship to shift that week. So it's pretty simple. First and third Wednesdays of every month. Now the location is going to continue to rotate, um, but the format will be fairly consistent. Like I said, long times. Long periods of just listening to God. Just listening to his word and, and meditating on his word and praying through his word. And then bringing our request to him. Now, um, if you're not already part of the prayer ministry, and if that is something that God might be leading you to be part of, then, we would, then would you please indicate that on the, um, the welcome card on the back side. Just say, just check prayer ministry, that you want to be part of that. Um, and then we'll add you to the list of prayer warriors that receive the weekly prayer requests, and then the prayer circle schedule will be, along with the locations, will be included with that. And we don't want anyone to serve in any ministry 
unless and until they feel led by God and compelled by the Holy Spirit to serve. But we will serve God and we will pursue God through prayer and seek to understand his greater will and future for harvest. All right? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this wonderful song, this psalm of hope, of peace, that encourage us to keep centered in you. To be attentive and to listen to the murmurings of the Holy Spirit. To move when you say move, but to stop and be still when you say be still. That's why we're here, Lord, to meet you, to find refuge in you. I pray that that would be true every Sunday, that there would not be any Sunday that any person comes here and does not somehow sense your presence here with us. Because if that's not the case, if, if we're not sensing that you are here with us, then why do we gather? Why are we here? But when we do sense your spirit, when, you, when we do follow your leading, we, there will be peace and joy and refuge and safety there. We pray that that would be at the heart of your family, this family, Harvest Community Church. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Going to continue worshiping the Lord together with giving back to God. And if you filled in that uh, welcome card, if you haven't, if you want to go ahead and fill in prayer requests, that's the place to do it. And you can just drop it in the bag as it's going by, and the worship team will lead us and close us out.